Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise God. For the month of June, we are going to be talking about a series, Becoming Who We Are. And uh, I believe, as I spoke Wednesday night, that God has a place in the kingdom for all of us. I don't think he filled us with the Holy Ghost to just help us find an assigned parking place or a, a favorite seat in the house. But I believe that God has a divine place for us, an ordered step for us. And um, so let's talk about the things that God is calling us to be. Today I want to speak to you on the subject called to be saints. And so this is where we begin. Many times we want to do great exploits for God. And I'm, I appreciate that kind of willingness in my heart and anyone's heart. And uh, sometimes our children, when they're very, very small, they have grand ideas about what they would like to become. They'd like to be a doctor or a fireman or they would like to be a nurse or a stewardess. They would like to do something. But the first thing we need to do is get them enrolled in pre-K. <laughs> We're probably going to have to make a few little preliminary steps we're going to get you through elementary and junior high, and we're going to, we need to get you on the right road. And so today, uh, there are some things that we certainly want to do for the Lord, and we want to grow in Him, but I think we must first come to the realization and the understanding and embrace that we have been called to be saints. Amen. We must be Christians. Amen. If we're going to do anything for the kingdom of God we must have some things settled in our heart. So we're going, to be, uh, we're going to be journeying around in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9. That's where we're going to begin with our text. While you're finding that and they're putting that on the screen, just let me tell you this, that in 1 Corinthians 6, if you have thin skin or if you're dare made of porcelain, you want to read this in bite-sized pieces. Because... Um, Someone had sprinkled a little gunpowder on Paul's oatmeal that morning. And uh, you're not going to need a commentary to get through 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But Paul was dealing with some issues. Paul was approaching firsthand. And you know, some things you can, uh, some things you can doctor with a little salve and some things you can just put a Band-Aid on. Some things require surgery, a much more direct approach. And so I believe the Apostle Paul understood well uh, some of the things that the Corinthian church was fighting and facing. And so uh, he speaks very boldly. And uh, I would really, in all sincerity, admonish you to read 1 Corinthians 6 uh, in your time. In your, in, in, don't spare time. Just make some time to do that. 1 Corinthians 6 and 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verse number 11, 
he says, and such were some of you. And so here's this long, dirty laundry list. And then he says, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are washed, and ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And such were some of you. I know we're here today and we all look good and everybody's, uh, most everybody's already smiled this morning and uh, everything that we have in our life that's going on seems to be somewhat shrouded behind uh, what the Lord is doing in our lives. But such were some of us. If we could see behind the veil or behind the blood today, it would not be a pretty sight. But aren't you thankful that the power of the Lord... (laughs) My God, that transforming nature of Jesus Christ that finds us in a mess, but he doesn't leave us in a mess. Amen, and he has called us to be saints. In scripture, we are first introduced to a man, a young man by the name of David at a special ceremony at the house of his father, a man by the name of Jesse. The prophet Samuel had been commissioned by the Lord because of the failings of Saul uh, to anoint a new king for Israel. After all of Jesse's sons had passed before Samuel, uh, he knew that the Lord had not chosen any of them. He knew that God had not granted his power to any of those particular young men. And so he asked whether or not this is all of your sons. And so when he asked, are all your sons here? Jesse replied somewhat nonchalantly, we may add. He said, well, I have a younger son the youngest son, and uh, he's out tending sheep. There seems to be just a little bit of condescension in this entire sentence. It's my youngest son, and he's out tending sheep. And so with that, with with that that, uh, statement, something inside of Samuel quickened when he heard those words, and Samuel declared this. He said, send and fetch for him. And then interestingly, I don't know how far David was away, But Saul said this, we will not sit down until he is here. (laughs) We're just hoping he was a few minutes down the road, but he may have been three days away. But Samuel said, we're not going to sit down until he's here. Something in the heart of Samuel uh, understood that God was up to something. So a servant was sent to the field, relayed the message to David in a moment of time, or the next moment at least in the frame of this particular story, David is standing before Samuel, still with the smell of sheep on his clothing, and he's hearing the prophet of God talk about this divine future that is set before him. And David's family, no doubt somewhat taken by everything that's happened, all of his older brothers that really look the part have all been rejected, and now young David, the shepherd boy, has been anointed or is about to be anointed king. The Lord had chosen him. Samuel lifted the horn of oil, began to pour that oil upon him. And from that moment, now we understand, and I don't want to take away anything from this wonderful intersection in David's life, but when he walked out of the shepherd's field and came to a meeting that was already in progress, there were already some pretty sour attitudes in the crowd because he's got his whole brother sitting here that have all been rejected. And David walks up and into this kind of atmosphere and the man of God says, this is the one, lifts the horn of oil, anoints him to be the king. And from that moment, David's life was changed. 
Now, I want to just pause and say this because we obviously know David's life was changed because he's now been anointed and appointed to be the next king. But now David has a real identity struggle on his hand, and I think rightfully so. He was minding his own business just a few moments ago. And so as is always the case, no matter how extraordinary the moment that we have a move of God in our life, in time, and sometimes it may be just a few minutes or a few hours, uh, the crowd goes home, the lights are turned out, and uh, we've had some wonderful things happen in our life, some tremendous spiritual encounters. We may have been at a meeting somewhere or in our local church somewhere, but eventually the lights are turned out, the crowd goes home, and we are left to try to deal with that extraordinary moment. I have all this information on my hands, now what am I supposed to do with this? David was left with the realization that he has been anointed with oil to be the next king of Israel, but he is still responsible for a herd of sheep that are still in the field, uh, not only awaiting but needing his time and attention. He is still a shepherd. However, the memory of that sacred, sacred moment is still there. He can still smell the oil. He can still feel the oil. And, and the wonder of what had just taken place had to be somewhat daunting, if not confusing at best. It's possible that he had some legitimate questions as he's making his way back, making his way back to the field. He's, he's asking himself, I think, possibly asking himself, am I a shepherd or a king? because I still feel like a shepherd. I'm still dressed like a shepherd. I still have a shepherd's staff in my hands. I, I've got some grass stains on my robe here from when I, I slid down a moment ago. I, I still feel like a shepherd, so am I a shepherd or am I a king? Am I, a, I, am I the least in my father's house or am I now the greatest in all the kingdom? Where, where am I in all of this? I think legitimate questions, but this was just the beginning because David would encounter a lot of things in his life, not the least of which would be a lion and a bear. He was a talented musician, and so that talent uh, allowed him to be featured at times in the king's court. He found himself, uh, one of the most famous stories of David's life early on, he found himself in battle staring down a giant while the rest of all of Israel's warriors stood back in great fear. The struggle with his identity became even more complicated because he found himself being rejected by the former king, Saul. He found himself on the run for his life because on more than one occasion, Saul tried to kill him out and out. He found himself living in caves. He found himself completely displaced and it all happened without any announcement. It just happened with the motion of a servant that said, your dad needs to see you. His whole life is upended. There is no question that David is now wrestling with his purpose. All the while, he's doing everything he could do to keep from mistreating Saul because Saul had been the only man he had known as king. As a matter of fact, even though I think it's clear in Scripture that Saul was a reprobate by now, David always referred to him as the Lord's anointed. And so what this great conflict that is in his mind and his heart. And so the ultimate question is, who was David? Was he a shepherd? Was he a musician? Is he a warrior? Is he a king? He struggled to see himself. Now, I won't ask you for a big showing of hands, but just a little bit of a response would help me. But how many here have ever struggled with our identity? Who are we? 
Where do we fit into this grand scheme of things? Where, where do we find our placement? David said in Psalms 22 and 6, what a transparent moment when he said, he, he said, am I, he said, I am a worm and not a man. That's what he said of himself. I, I'm a worm and not a man. But eventually, David did find himself and he found his place. And I, I believe that this happened because David yielded himself, opened himself, availed himself to right voices in his life. And can I tell you that we are no different today, that if we are gonna reach our God-given destiny, then we are gonna to have to yield ourselves not to just voices, but we're gonna to have to yield ourselves to right voices in our life. These voices helped him come to an understanding of who he was. As a matter of fact, later in the 139th Psalm, in verse number 14, David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He no longer said, I'm just a worm and not a man, but he said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He didn't get there by himself. He didn't arrive at this moment in a flash of time. It wasn't just during one sermon or a song or a revival, but it was a process of time, right voices cultivating him, the proper hands that were shaping and molding him and today this is so much of what we need. If we're gonna allow the spirit of God to help us become what he has called us to be, we are called to be saints and there will never be a time in our life, no matter how many titles we may acquire through our journey and our walk with God, there will never be a time that we are no longer called to be saints. That is where we begin. We are called to be saints. God may use us to do wonderful exploits here in this church, here in this state, in our nation, or around the world, but nothing that we ever do will ever uproot and disconnect us from ultimately being called to be a saint of God. Amen. Praise God. Amen. You, we don't have to need a degree or we don't need a degree in psychology to notice that many people in today's world are really unsure of who they are. This is sometimes referred to as an identity crisis. And often people who are not sure who they really are go in pursuit or seeking things or seeking the answers to questions of this nature by adopting the identity of various people around them, whether that's individuals or groups of people. Uh, they mimic their fashions, their language, their habits, and uh, it's all an attempt to just fit in. It's all an attempt to just put on this garment so that I can just blend in. Much of America's youth culture, and especially in metropolitan areas, um, are a part of gangs and things of that nature. And it is because, in part, that the family is so fragmented, and there, there is not a family structure in place, and so they're searching for an identity, and so they find an identity in some sort of gang and, and things of that nature. But I don't want your mind to just wander there, because I believe that in pursuit of who we are, we can just mimic the fashions and the fads and the styles of people around. Some people spend their entire lives trying to figure out who they really are. And so they bounce from one fad to another because they're never sure. 
They just adopt the latest thing in a desperate attempt to, to just try to, try to find their place in this world. Where do I fit in? They stand ready to change the course of their life at a moment's notice because they're not sure of who they are. And so when something around them changes, they just simply change, kind of the chameleon effect that whatever happens, they just kind of blend in to that environment. And sadly, even, even Christians can fall into this category where we are just moved by the whimsical current of our day. But you know what? We need to stand Take a stand. Stand therefore. Amen. There needs to be people that, uh, that get upon the foundation of the word of God and say from this rock, we're not gonna move. From this rock, this is where we are. Amen. We can allow certain decisions or we can allow certain lifestyle choices to be dictated by the culture at large. Amen. We can allow that in our life. We can allow that in our homes. We can allow that in our mind. And, uh, and, and we are exposed to those kind of things. As we read through the New Testament, we realize that what we're facing today in the 21st century is nothing less than what the New Testament church was facing. And so that's why our launch pad today is found in the New Testament church, one of the New Testament churches in Corinth. The Apostle Paul addressed the mentality uh, through his, uh, his epistles to all of the first churches, not just to the church of Corinth, but that's where our focus is today. The early Christians in the city of Corinth seemed especially susceptible to the influence of the community at large. Just sort of whatever was going on, they just went along with the flow of it. And so Paul had to address a number of issues that apparently had arisen in the church, many of which were a result of New Testament Christians. And so the, he's not preaching to sinners and I think that's what we have to understand when we're reading in the epistles. He is talking to the saved. Amen. They were still, even though they had received the Holy Ghost, even though they were in the new, a part of the bride of Christ, amen, they were still heavily influenced by the world's way of thinking. I, I hope I don't confuse anybody here, but I, I don't want to discount uh, a Holy Ghost experience, but can I tell you that when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and when we are baptized in his name, that's just the beginning. There, there is still a lot of residue left over in us. Our, our, we're gonna go down, we're gonna go down dry, we're gonna come up wet, amen. I'm not, I'm not taken away from the power of baptism, amen. Our sins are remitted, they're washed away and we thank God for that. But I'm gonna tell you, we're not just going to morph into something in the next 30 or 45 seconds that's just gonna be a completely different person. We are still gonna be influenced by the world's way of thinking. For example, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul rebuked them for seeking resolutions for church problems in secular court. Yes, he did. Amen. Instead of asking God for wisdom to resolve their problems as brothers and sisters in Christ, they said, well, we're just, gonna, we're just gonna handle business like we always handle business. And so these Corinthian believers were looking to the judicial system for the answers. They were having difficulty separating themselves from the thinking of the culture in which they live. They didn't understand that when we have been born again, we have undergone a change of identity. We have been changed by the power of God. God's spirit was, was seeking to transform their lives, including how they settled disputes. 
So to help them understand what had happened at their conversion, Paul reminded them of what they used to be before they met the Lord. So let's turn our attention to 1 Corinthians 6 and 9 again. He said, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, or abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, neither revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. Then the Apostle Paul referenced a tremendous transformation that had occurred in their life because he said in the very next verse, and such were some of you. The greatest favor we could ever do ourselves is to never forget where the Lord found us. <laughs> Amen. Never forget where the Lord, where we were when the Lord found us because sometimes we can get all cleaned up and forget we were ever dirty. We can, our mind can get changed about a lot of things and we can forget how we used to feel about a few things. And so when we put our faith in the Lord, when we repent of our sins and we are baptized in his name, filled with his spirit, we become a brand new person. God gives us a new identity. We're no longer sinners. We are now called to be saints. But this is a process of sanctification. We're gonna walk through this. We're not gonna have it all together overnight. I'm not giving anybody a license to sin. I don't mean it that way. That Paul said, God forbid, just because we have grace that we would just openly sin. But it is a process. Amen. And so if we as believers hope to live and become what God has declared us to be, then we first must understand the power and the extent of the change that has taken place in our life. I thank God that I did more than just have a little Holy Ghost moment Amen, I thank God that something was released in me and it changed the way I thought. Amen. I'm gonna tell you something. There are people in this building under the sound of my voice this very moment that when the Lord began to work on you, nobody told you to start doing this or to stop doing that, but just something about a changed nature inside of you, something that felt so comfortable yesterday, something that felt like, fit like a glove just yesterday. Today feels, this is just not right. There's something, and it was the spirit of God say, I'm calling you to another level. I'm calling you to a different plateau. Amen, the very foundation of our lives is altered at conversion because of God's spirit. Our principles have changed. Uh, I'm, I'm guided by a new set of core values and a new set of core beliefs. In 1 Corinthians, Paul address the basic traditions by which the New Testament believers here previously lived their lives. Now, to be sure, he challenged their beliefs by how you should live. And so Paul, Paul came out very, very bold. Among other things, Paul discussed their attitudes and their beliefs about marriage, about sexuality, about legal disputes, about personal appearances on and on, I dare you to read 1 Corinthians 6. I dare you. And he challenged their way of thinking. To be, he, he, he challenged their way of thinking. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul also quoted several popular sayings. You with me now? They were very popular in Corinth at the time. And Paul established a biblical perspective upon which these topics should be handled. Our world also adheres to this, uh, our world in this century also adheres to common adages 
that seem to be the guiding force of our culture. We hear people say, well, when in Rome, do as the Romans. What happens in Vegas? I hope you don't know how to end that. Please just look bewildered back at me. This culture that just, these little, these little adages that seem to be the rudder in the water that just kind of guides the culture along. That says it, it doesn't matter. We can just blend in. We live in this environment every day. It's not lost to me that many of you work in this environment every day where you see people stepping on others to climb that proverbial ladder of success, just whatever it takes. A little white lie here, a little white lie there, and after a while, lying doesn't matter at all. We are overexposed, and when you live in that kind of an environment, it is easy for us as children of God to unconsciously adopt the wisdom of the world. You can be seated. But it's the truth that it begins to rub off on us that the common wisdom of the world, even though the word of God is completely opposed to this, certain things, but we just unconsciously adopt this, it's okay because this is just what, this is just what everybody does. Is my son here? He's in the back. He's in the back. When he was a little boy, he would come home from school and he'd he'd be hearing his his uh, he'd be hearing his little schoolmates talk about maybe a, the latest movie that was out on VHS or something back then that kind of dates us there. And uh, he'd say, "Dad, we could rent that because it only has one cuss word in it." I said, "Well, then we will only drink one beer while we watch it." I was such a fun dad. <laughs> dad, dad, dad. But it doesn't matter. It's just a little bit. But you see, if you just get used to a little bit, you get desensitized to a lot. And after a while, nothing. Everybody all right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got me wondering how many beers you're Just how many cuss words are in those movies? Because we get overexposed to it and it doesn't move us anymore. And I can tell you that, that language that used to really stir our righteous indignation, we're completely comfortable with it now. Amen. And it's in our home and, and it just has a front row seat and our children, they warm their heart and their hands over the fires of these day in and day out and video games and all these things that have all this violence in it and now it just doesn't mean a whole lot because it's just a game. It is not just a game. It is the culture in which we live. It is turning into the guiding force that is leading our families and it is desensitizing the youth of America and they're not always gonna be youth. They're gonna be grown people in America. Amen, they're gonna be voting at the polls and they're gonna be elected to offices and they're gonna be in leadership in our communities and I'm going to tell you, we need the word of God upon the word of God. We build our hope and our trust and we're gonna stand 
I've got a long way to go here today and I just wanna, uh, my goodness, I've got a lot to cover but I wanna try to squeeze as much as I can in here. Paul challenged us to remember something. He said in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, he said, no, what, know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, the Holy Ghost in you, which ye have of God and you're not your own, you're bought with a price. Therefore, he said, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to the Lord. And so with this in mind, with this in mind, it is, we should not be surprised that the church finds itself increasingly at odds with the culture of our day over many issues. topics such as marriage and, and acceptable dress and behavior and, and the value of human life and ethics and even the origin of man, creation versus evolution. The church is at odds with all of this because the world is just swimming in a pool of what if, if it feels good, do it. And so as Christians, we view the world through the lens of God's word. While our culture is mostly concerned with personal convenience, uh, with comfort, whatever, uh, therefore we should expect our values to clash with the values of the world around us. As a matter of fact, if our values don't clash with the world's values, amen, then we need to take a trip back to the altar and ask God to transform our heart. I'm not preaching too strong for you, am I today? Amen, if, our, if what we believe doesn't clash with what's going on in the world, there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with us. We have so many voices in our world to claim to have the answers to life's dilemmas from Dr. Lar to Dr. Phil. Everybody seems to have an agenda. Unfortunately, many of their solutions are at odds with biblical wisdom. Amen. <laughs> now, I just plucked two people out of the world here. I didn't, I'm not on a a soapbox here, but many times what they are thinking is at odds with biblical wisdom. And so in this atmosphere, Christians who lack discernment can easily be led astray. There's no doubt that, that, that it may be sometimes in our life helpful that we seek answers from outside experts. I'm not against that. I'm not opposed to that. There are times we need, we need uh, some advice from family and friends. However, we must be re very careful regarding which voices we allow to speak into our lives. Amen, I'm gonna say that again. We need to be very, very careful which voices we allow to speak in our life because spiritual discernment is so critical. So critical. Our primary source of guidance must be God's word. And so we are so blessed to have the church where we can come. Amen. You know what our children are doing today? They're not in the annex. We're, we don't have a glorified daycare going on back here. We're not trying to keep your children out of your hair while you can be in church. They're not over there just entertaining them and playing games with them. They're breaking all pieces of the word of God. As a matter of fact, they're talking about the very same thing we're talking about here this morning. They're planning biblical biblical truth into their heart and in their lives. And so we need the church. We need our hearts to be here warming around the center of God's word. Amen, we can find access to answers through prayer, the study of God's word, the instructions that we receive when we come to the house of God. Jesus, I mean, James promised this in James one and five. He said, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. Amen. 
If you need to know something, ask the Lord and he will bring that about, amen, by maybe revelation in your own home while you're reading your Bible or you may be sitting in church and somebody somebody get up and say something and just unlock the door and just break the seal upon that word of God. The psalmist made uh, this observation in Psalms 1. He said, blessed is the man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or standeth in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Hallelujah. How did you get from where you are, where you were to where you are? I just got in the sunlight of God's word. I started dedicating myself to it. Hallelujah. I started meditating on it. I feel the Holy Ghost coming into this now. Amen. The word of God, our guiding force, the spirit of God, our guiding force in our life and oh how we need it. Amen. Oh how we need it how we need it. What a privileged position that we live in here today. What a very privileged position that we live in. In the book of Ephesians chapter two and verse six, the Bible says, Paul to the Ephesian church and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen, that, that's the best seat in the world. Hallelujah, that's the best seat in the world. He has raised us up together and he has made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I've never had a seat like this seat. I've never ever had a seat like this seat that beats anything. Amen. Now we're not gonna always understand, of course, everything that happens to us in life. It's true that our, our problems can be overwhelming at times. Can I get a witness to that? Far more questions than answers. But our problems don't have to overwhelm us. My goodness, I feel the Lord. Our problems do not have to overwhelm us because we can take them to Jesus. Regardless of the situation, we have promises and we have privileges that even the elite of this world do not have. We may not have access to unlimited financial resources, but we serve a God who said, I will supply according to my riches and glory. I may not have it, but I have access to it. <laughs> I may not have my healing right now, but I have access to it. And as we read the word of God, we realize his promise, that he has a promise for every problem. His word is so true, his word is so real. Hallelujah, his word, his word just leaps off of the page from time to time and it just plants itself in our heart. It comes into absolute focus. Amen, and we understand that God has an answer for this. I remember many years ago, many years ago, Brother Bingham, you would know uh, Brother and Sister Young from Shreveport, formerly from Shreveport, and, and the Lord had been dealing with me about something and, and I had just met them. I had only I had, I had flown into their a city to preach a meeting in their city and they were kind enough to pick me up at the airport and take me to the meeting and we met in the airport. We had only been friends for about 15 minutes. We got in the car and he started asking me something and it was just, was just kind of bizarre that he went so deep into a conversation with our friendship being so young, so new 
And I just began to share with him something that I felt on my heart. And he looked in the rear view mirror. I was sitting in the back seat. He said, you know there's a scripture for that, right? Really? Really? He said, yes, sir, it's in the book of Psalms. My goodness, I couldn't hardly wait to get back to my room that night so I could find that scripture. And so I realized that for every problem we have, God has some kind of promise that can be toenailed into that, hooked into that. Amen, thank God for the power of his word. Amen, it'll touch us. Amen, please today, don't look at this book as just your grandma's book. Please don't just think about this as the daddy, your daddy's old book that sat around on the table. Don't think about this book as just another novel. Don't think about this book as anything less than a living seed that is in our heart and in our life. And yet I find hope. And yet I find strength. And yet I find direction. And yet I find health in it. I find healing in it. I find I find the clouds rolling back in the midst of the greatest storm. That's what I find in the word of God. Praise God. Just like us, the early Christians at Corinth were very concerned with self-preservation. That's just human nature. <laughs> they were wronged. When they were wronged, the Corinthian believers hired a lawyer. They headed to court. Yes, they did. Their goal was revenge, not restoration. We're gonna settle this. Unfortunately, they ignored the example of Jesus. Now listen to this. Jesus silently suffered at the hands of others for the sake of the kingdom. The Bible says in Matthew 26 that he could have called angels to come and deliver him. Here's what Paul said in Corinthians 6 and 7, I don't have it on the screen, but he rebuked them with a reminder that it would be better, everybody listening now? He said it would have been better for you to suffer yourselves to be defrauded than to act in a way that would bring an embarrassment to the kingdom of God. I need to apologize for not preaching about stuff like this more often. I'm being very sincere with you. He said, you would have been better off being defrauded and let God make up the difference. Because you see, God balances everything at the end of the day. And so before we buy a big tall soapbox and jump up on it to fight our own battle, Paul said, you might would have been better off to have just found yourself defrauded and not bring an embarrassment to the kingdom of God. Amen. And so before you shoot at your neighbor next time, we should think along these lines. Before we try to settle some road rage, road rage dispute at the intersection of whoever and wherever, we might have better just be defrauded and let God take care of that. Boy, that just flies in the face of our common thinking, don't it? Ooh, man, this is more uncomfortable than a pair of shoes that's two sizes too, too small. I don't want to be defrauded. I want wrong to be made right. I want to feel vindicated by the stroke of midnight. But Paul said we need to preserve the integrity of the kingdom of God. Amen. In Jesus' name, I'm going to ask you to stand. That'll help all of us. He said, your priority is not to protect your ego and your personal rights. 
we need to ask ourselves the way I'm thinking, the way I'm acting, what impact is this going to have on the church? What impact is this going to have on fellow believers? What impact will this have on the advancement of the gospel? I've got to be careful how I handle this because if I bring shame to the kingdom of God, the work of God, if I embarrass those that I worship with, if I hinder the word of God and what I do becomes a stumbling block to someone else, I'm not really going to be winning. While I'm, while I'm counting my proceeds and while I'm polishing my trophies that I won, somebody is over here in a pool of blood not understanding you're not winning if we leave a wake of confusion and hurt and behind us. And so every decision that we, should, that we make, is everybody okay? Every decision that we make should be made in the light of the kingdom of God and how will this affect others? You see, we've got, we've got parents today that just do whatever they want to do and they don't even think about the end result of how this is going to affect their children. If I have heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times in 30 years. Children are resilient. They'll bounce back. You need to get your head out of the clouds and understand that the decisions we make today are going to affect others around us. And as we are born again Bible believers today, it matters how we act in town. It matters how we treat our neighbor. It matters how we do business. It matters how we act when we are away from the house of God. We need the spirit of God. You know why? Because he's called us way before he called us to preach, way before he called us to sing, way before he called us to play an instrument, way before he called us to teach a Sunday school class. Everybody okay? Way before he called us to do anything, he called me to be a saint. He called me to be a saint of God. Amen. And I may... I may have a lot of titles that come to my name along the way, but I'm never gonna lose the call to be a saint of God. And I say, Lord, help me to do it with everything that I can and help me to never bring an embarrassment to your name. I don't ever wanna shame you. I'm preaching to you today as your pastor. I don't ever wanna make a decision that would embarrass you or embarrass this church or make a, or make a stumbling block for somebody that is trying to make their way to an altar of repentance. Oh, oh, sweet God. Oh, sweet God, let a sobering power of your spirit touch us today. Oh, I need to think about what I'm doing in light of somebody that's trying to make their way to an altar of repentance. Oh, somebody that may have been considering visiting this church they may watch how I conduct myself in a restaurant in town. They may watch how I act when I'm in a business. They may watch how I treat others around me. Not when I'm at my Sunday best. Not when I am in my suit and tie. Not when the Bible is open before me. But what are you doing when you're at the hardware store? How are you acting? How are you doing? How are you doing when you're at Lowe's and Home Depot? What are you doing there? What are we doing there? I don't want to be a stumbling block to somebody. Please call me to be a saint. A saint. Praise God. Praise God. Who? My Lord, the Holy Ghost is doing something here today. I know what they meant 
I know what they meant and I believe their heart was in the right place. But several years ago, someone said something to me about being at a certain place and they said, well, I'm sure that, you know, you being a preacher and all, you probably would never go there. And I said to them, I want to give you something to think about. If I as a preacher shouldn't be in this place that you're talking about, you may want to ask yourself why you're there. Because you see, before I was ever called to preach, I was called to be a saint. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. Move among us freely, Lord, right now. (laughs) Oh, oh, Jesus. Don't let us, don't let us, God, adopt the philosophy of this world to live our lives and conduct business and raise our families. Help us not to be ashamed, God, to stand out against the culture of this world. This culture, the culture of our world is building its hopes and dreams on shifting sand. But God, help us today to build our hope on things eternal. The word of God, the unbuilt, unbending, unyielding word of God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Let's love the Lord. Amen, we're not just trying to make this last. I believe God's doing something here today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 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 This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.